Let's read together in Exodus 4, verse 18. It says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will, not, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, we praise you that through your word, you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that every verse in the Bible can be applied to us through the gospel of Jesus. Lord, this morning, give Godwin spirit-filled unction, clarity, and wisdom to teach us from this difficult passage. Keep us focused on your word. Help us to seek and savor Jesus this morning. Show us how we can taste and see your goodness through your word this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Godwin. I'm one of the pastors here at South Shore Baptist Church, and um, it's my privilege to preach to you this morning. Yes, this is a difficult passage. This is a strange passage. We're going to get to some of that in a few moments here. A few days, a few weeks ago, actually, well, I guess it's been 10 days or so uh, since Jenny and I took a trip to New Hampshire we, uh, we took our family to Lake Winnipesaukee, which was made famous by the movie What About Bob? If you haven't seen What About Bob, you need to see What About Bob. It's got Bill Murray and uh, Richard Dreyfuss as a psychiatrist. I mean, 
It's a wonderful movie. Please see it. So Jenny and I, we took a vacation from our problems in uh, Lake Winnipesaukee. We packed up our minivan, and, and packing up the minivan when you have two kids, and some of you have more than two kids, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, situation. So, you know, there's the suitcase, there's the food, there's the double stroller, there's the, uh, you know, all sorts of toddler contraptions, and, and then the, the high chair, the, the baby gate. And I'm looking at this minivan from the back after I've packed it, and I'm thinking, are we moving to New Hampshire for like three months? Like, what's going on? No, I'm not bitter about that. Okay, maybe I'm a little bitter about that. Well, this is what we do when we go on trips. We prepare. We make preparations. We get our affairs in order. If we don't prepare, if we're not ready, well, we're going to be surprised when we arrive at our destination. We won't be ready, and we need to be ready for whatever we have planned. Well, Moses was preparing as well. He was preparing to journey back to Egypt. He needed to get his affairs in order. Remember, God spoke to him in the burning bush, and God said, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to rescue my people. When Moses got nervous, he had doubts, but God spoke into those doubts. You remember last week's sermon. God says to Moses, I will be with you, I am for you, and I will work through you. So, was Moses prepared for his mission? After that little conversation, was he prepared? Was he ready? Was his heart ready to go back to Egypt? And that's what we're going to see in this passage. Has God called you to something? You've accepted the call, you've said yes to God, but you're still reluctant to go. Maybe you're expecting your first child. You're thrilled about it, but... On some level, you're also scared. Maybe God is calling you to a new job in a new place. You've got mixed emotions about it. Maybe God is asking you to share the gospel with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend, and he's made that abundantly clear to you, but you're nervous. You've got doubts. Maybe God has called you to a new leadership position in this church. You know, uh, in the month of June, we go through some turnover with leadership, and many of you uh, have found yourself now in, in the month of July in a new leadership position in the church. Maybe you're a new elder. Maybe you're chairing a, a new committee. Maybe you're on a ministry team. And you're excited to serve God. You find it a, a privilege to serve God, but you wonder whether you're cut out for it. Has God called you to do something, and you're, you're down with it, you're open to it, you're following God in it, but you're not sure if you're ready. Well, here's the good news that this passage brings us. Don't worry. Don't stress. God will prepare you along the way. God will prepare you along the way. Isn't that good news for those of us who are on the way trying to follow God? So let's see how this passage demonstrates this truth. Five lessons, five lessons from Moses as he travels back to Egypt. Here's the first lesson. Getting started is often the hardest. Pastor Kevin DeYoung has helped me in particular to, to see this particular point. He's done some good work in Exodus. Getting started is often the hardest. Look at verse 18. 
Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. So you're at the starting line. You're ready to follow Jesus in a new way. Maybe you just became a Christian. You're at the starting line. You're ready to go. Maybe you've been struggling with a particular sin and God has brought you into a new season of holiness. So you're on this new path. Maybe you find yourself in a new neighborhood, in a new home. And with all of these new callings come new first steps. And oftentimes that first step is the most difficult because God has redirected you and put you on this new trajectory and you're still trying to find your bearings. So it's hard to take that first step. But we're, we're in good company. Moses found it difficult as well. Now, this is a strange request in verse 18 that he makes of uh, Jethro. Let me go back to my people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Well, wait a second, Moses. What about the burning bush? What about God speaking to, to you in the burning bush? What about uh, you setting God's people free? What about the staff turning into a snake and, and your hand becoming leprous? And all that stuff that, that happened when you encountered God on this mountain. Why did you mention any of that? Well, what this tells us is that Moses doesn't quite believe yet the mission that God has given him. He believes a little bit, but he doesn't quite believe it fully. He's, he's telling God, okay, I trust you. I'm willing to follow you. But, you know, I'm a little too embarrassed to tell anyone. He's at that place between belief and unbelief. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there. Trying to save face, trying to maintain respectability and still follow God. I'll follow Jesus, but do I really have to tell my family about my conversion? I'll follow Jesus on this mission trip to, to Kenya, but do I have to share the news with my coworkers and neighbors? Can I keep that quiet? Oftentimes, the first step on a new path or for that new task is the hardest. It'll test you. It will challenge you because you're getting your new bearings. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are in that new place, on that new path, be patient with yourself. It's going to be hard, and that's okay. You know, this new direction wasn't just hard for uh, Moses. It was also hard, of course, for Jethro. Imagine you're Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Moses is like, hey, I want to take your daughter and your grandchildren, and I want to take them back to the place where they tried to kill me. We may never return. Is that cool with you? You okay with that? Two thumbs up? There are few things more difficult than letting go of dear people in our lives. There are few things more difficult than letting go of children, than letting go of grandchildren. And Jethro had to do it here. And look at his response at the end of verse 18. Go and I wish you well. That was a response that was full of faith, wasn't it? That was not easy for Jethro to say. I remember my high school days with my mom. I, I, I would often go off with my friends and, and, you know, I'd have a curfew, midnight, one, whatever it was, and I would come home and, and I would find that she would have the light on in her nightstand and I'd walk in and, and within a few seconds she would turn the, the light on. She was up for me. She was waiting up for me. 
I'd feel bad about it, right? Well, one day, my senior year, you know the punchline, I, I walked in, and there was no light. My mom was saying goodbye to me in a small way. She was letting go. And she was, she was letting go from the time I was in the bassinet, because I moved from the bassinet to down the hall. And then I moved from down the hall to out of town when I went to college, and then out of state as I came here with my new wife. My mom was making one of the many steps which were involved in parenting, letting me go. Parenting is a long process of a hundred goodbyes, a thousand many goodbyes. The first step is often the hardest, not just for the individual going down the path, but for family, for friends, for the church community, community around, they have to let go too. They have to adjust in some way too because we're on this new path. And don't forget that, brothers and sisters. Let's apply this in a different way. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of Jethro for a moment. When you have a child and God leads them away, can you bless them as they go? When you have a good friend and God leads them away, can you bless them as they go? If God is calling one of your children to go across the country for college, can you say with Jethro, go and I wish you well? If God is calling one of your good friends to the urban poor in Chicago because they have a heart to serve the urban poor in Chicago, can you let them go? God is calling one of your dear friends to go to the hard places, to go to Abu Dhabi, to go to Dubai, to go to Syria with the gospel. Can you let them go? Can you say to them what Jethro said? Go, and I wish you well. The first step is often the hardest, not only for those who go, but for those who stay. Here's the second lesson. God speaks into our fears. God speaks into our fears. Look at verses 19 and 20. In verse 19, you can see from what God is saying here that Moses is scared to go back to Egypt. He's afraid to go back to Egypt. Last time he was in uh, Egypt, the king was trying to kill him. So it makes sense that he'd be scared. And so in these verses, God gives Moses words of assurance and this is a great lesson for us too, brothers and sisters. Following God can be a scary thing. It can be a difficult thing. But God gives us words of comfort and words of assurance when we're afraid. God speaks into our fears. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And oftentimes, of course, it happens through this book, the Bible. That's why many of you are here this morning. Because you've gathered around the word of God and you want to hear words of assurance and comfort. Maybe God is calling you into something difficult right now. You see it, you're walking down the road to it, but you're scared. So that's why you're here. Well, this is a good place to be. Perhaps it's the best place for you to be if that's you. You want to hear from God? Well, then go to church. That's where God speaks. That's where we hear God's words of comfort. We hear it as the word is preached, yes, but we also hear God's word as it's read, as God's word is prayed, as God's word is sung. We sing to God, but we also sing to one another. 
God's truths, as the word is displayed in the ordinances of baptism and communion, we, we see the gospel clearly in those ordinances. And, and what, a, what, a, what an awesome message as we look at baptism, as we look at communion, for people who are afraid, the gospel pressed into our hearts. If you want to hear words of encouragement from God like Moses, then go to church. Stay at church. God also uses other people to speak words into our fears in the context of, of course, relationships and conversations. You know, it's, it's such a joy to pastor this church for a host of reasons. And one of the reasons is I have the privilege alongside the other pastors and the elders to, to have a, a front seat, a front row seat to your lives. I get to see what, what's happening in your lives. And one of the things I get to see is I get to see, I get to watch you love each other. I get to watch you care for each other, watch you speak God's truths to each other. It's, a, it, it's such a privilege to, to do that. Brothers and sisters, please realize that God uses you, God uses you to speak truths into each other's lives. You are well-equipped for this. God uses everyday Christians, not just the professionals, not just the counselors, not just the pastors or the therapists. He uses everyday Christians to do this. And that means you need to be a student of the Word. But it also means that you need to take some risks and press into each other's lives, get into each other's lives and bring God's Word with you. You've got the Spirit, right? You've got the Spirit, and that means you've got the fruit of the Spirit being produced in you. You've also got the gifts of the Spirit. And so you have supernatural power. You have access to supernatural power as you're in these relationships and as you're talking to people who are living in fear. And God wants to use you in those moments to speak truth. My hope for this church is that we would become a hospital for sinners and sojourners who are traveling along the way. It's not just pastors and elders who are the doctors. We are all the doctors in some ways. We can all do the diagnosis. We can all prescribe the spiritual medicine. Maybe we need to leave the major surgeries to the specialists. I understand that. I, I get that. I'm with you. But we can all get involved. So let me just take a moment, brothers and sisters, first of all, to thank you. Thank you for loving each other with God's word. Uh, nothing... Nothing brings me more joy to, than to see that. But also, keep growing in it. Keep growing in it. How can you get involved with this? Well, can you think of one person in your life right now? Maybe one person in this church? One person in this sanctuary who needs God's words of assurance because they're living in fear? Can you think of someone? They're on God's path, but they're afraid to take the next step. Well, would you take a moment after the service to speak to them? Think about one particular verse, one particular psalm, one particular promise in this book that relates to their situation. Would you give that to them? Maybe write them a note this afternoon. Maybe give them a call this afternoon and set up a time, a, a time for lunch or coffee and then give them a, a passage of Scripture. We have about 550 people here this morning, something like that. Wouldn't it be something if 
if, if, if there were 550 God-ordained appointments and notes and conversations that went out this week, that happened this week, that'd be something else. Well, back to the text. Look at verse 20. Why is verse 20 important? So Moses took his wife and sons, he put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hands. Well, why is this verse important? Well, first of all, it shows us that Moses was finally obedient. Remember chapter 4, verse 16, where he told God that someone else should do it, and God got kind of mad at him? Well, here he finally says to God, okay, I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to go back to Egypt. But it also shows us that God's words of assurance, verse 19, that they actually helped Moses. God's words don't fail us. So if you are living in fear right now as you're trying to follow God, get into this book. Cling to God's promises in this book. They're going to help you on the journey. Here's the third lesson. God works to make himself known more than to make us comfortable. God works to make himself known more than to make us comfortable. I'm going to read these verses again. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. So God has already told Moses before that he would come back to Egypt and he would perform these wonders, but they would be for Israel. So there's a new piece of information that God is giving Moses here, these wonders would also be for Pharaoh and for Egypt. Now, the purpose of wonders is to help people to know the one and true God, Yahweh. It's to display his power, to display his glory. It's to shine a spotlight on his character. That's why God was going to demonstrate, that God was going to do these wonders before Pharaoh. So God didn't want to just he didn't only want Israel to know him, he wanted Pharaoh and Egypt to know him as well. But God would also harden Pharaoh's heart. you see that? So there would be opposition to Moses. Pharaoh wouldn't get it as these wonders were performed. He, he wouldn't know God in these wonders. He, he wouldn't be moved by these wonders. In fact, he would make things more difficult for Israel to leave. Imagine how Moses would have felt about this. This is not going to be an easy mission for Moses. Before, God told Moses, I'm going to be with you, I'm for you, and I'll work through you. But now he's saying, Pharaoh's not going to be with you, he's not for you, and he's going to work against you. And I'm doing this in the heart of Pharaoh. That's got to be really tough for Moses. Hardening Pharaoh's heart is a major theme in Exodus. It's mentioned 18 times after this particular passage. I'm going to save the explanation for a future sermon. But for now, let me just say this. The reason behind all of this, these wonders behind hardening God's, uh, excuse me, Pharaoh's heart, the reason behind all of this is God is trying to make himself known. 
And this is the best path to get, get that done. And it's a path that's not going to be easy for Moses. How many times in the Bible do we read about God's people doing, doing some crazy, extraordinary things for God? How many times do we read in the Bible about God calling people to do impossible things for him? Isaiah 6 documents God's call to Isaiah. He walks into the temple. King Uzziah has died, and he sees this spectacular, awe-inspiring vision of God. And he falls down on his face in humility before God, and God cleanses him and purifies him. But, you know, we miss the part where God then says that you're going to go speak to a people who aren't going to listen this great vision of God and, God, and God humbles him. He's before God. God cleanses him, purifies him. But wait a second. Your mission is to go to speak to people who aren't going to listen. That wouldn't be easy for any of us. But through Isaiah, God spoke some amazing truths about judgment and forgiveness and salvation and grace and the, the new earths and the new heavens to come. Eventually, some would listen. In fact, some of those folks that are here this morning, we listen to the message of Isaiah in faith. Who would have imagined that? Isaiah didn't imagine that. And there's Saul in Acts chapter 9. He also had a spectacular, awe-inspiring encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. God revealed himself to him. He was humbled in blindness. He was miraculously converted. Remember the story? But we often miss the part where God says that he showed Saul just how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus. Paul's life was never easy, was it? But in the midst of shipwreck and discouragement and, and depression and beatings and stonings and getting run out of towns, God used him to plant self-sustaining churches in new places. God used him alongside the other apostles to bring revival on earth. Brothers and sisters, your path, your mission, your task from God may not be easy. But you can be confident that if God is calling you, then somehow it's going to bring him glory. Somehow it's going to bring honor to his name. It may not be comfortable. It may not be easy for you, but it will work itself out as something beautiful and wonderful. If you need further proof, think about what God called Jesus to do. That was not easy for Jesus, was it? But it brought unfathomable glory to God in the end. In that situation, God certainly worked to make himself known more than he worked to make Jesus comfortable. And so we're here, people of faith. Verses 22 and 23 give us a little preview of what is to come. If Pharaoh doesn't listen, God's going to strike his son. In these verses, we see two fathers and two sons. One father, Yahweh, loves his firstborn son, Israel. And will do whatever it takes to deliver his firstborn son, Israel. Another father, Pharaoh, is acting recklessly and is actually working against his son's good. So God here is introducing an important principle 
Here's the principle. One son for another son. One son for another son. More on that in a minute. Here's the fourth lesson. Be holy. Be holy. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Okay. That was a little weird. This is an awfully strange passage. If you're coming here with lots and lots of questions, well, I have good news for you. I don't know what's going on. No, I'm kidding. This is a tough passage, right? What, what is going on in this passage? Well, I may not have all of the answers to your questions, but I want to I tell you the main point here. Here's the main point. Moses was lacking holiness. That's why this whole thing happens. Moses had failed to meet the covenant requirements of circumcising his son on the eighth day. According to Genesis 17, if you're a, a, a member of God's covenant community, if you have a son, you will circumcise him on the eighth day. And Moses had failed to do that. And so God, who takes holiness and obedience seriously, probably inflicted Moses with some sort of sickness on the way back to Egypt. That's what was likely happening in this moment. And Zipporah, Moses' wife, she, she figures out what's going on and she circumcises her son and saves her husband. So just because you're called to do something by God doesn't mean you're exempted from holiness. As one pastor said, the Exodus task could be for someone with a speech impediment, but not for someone with an obedience impediment. God doesn't just want us to get his stuff done. He wants us to be holy along the way. In fact, God doesn't put up with his leaders and servants who are not walking in integrity. This is heavy stuff. Now, I'm not talking about perfection here. None of us are perfect. Moses was never perfect. The Apostle Paul was never perfect. But God ob- still obviously used them. So we all have some areas in our life when we're, where we're not perfectly holy. So, so how do we discern this passage? How do we apply it to our lives? Well, let me ask you a di- diagnostic question. Is there one or two areas in your life right now where you are openly in rebellion to God? Is there one or two areas in your life right now where you are in constant defiance of God? Can you think of something, brothers and sisters? Well, listen, you may be trying to follow God in some way. You may want to serve God. But you're wondering, why isn't God using me in this? Why do I sense like he's opposed to me in some way? Why am I not producing fruit? Why can't I go forward with this task? Well, perhaps he's trying to get your attention like God was getting Moses' attention here. Perhaps you are openly rebelling against him and defying him in some way, and he's saying, that's enough. That's what he was doing here with Moses. He was telling him, Moses, that's enough. Well, if that's the case, brothers and sisters, 
be encouraged because you can respond like Moses and his family responded here. I want you to put your finger here and turn over to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 549. Psalm 32. This is a good psalm for us when we struggle with sin. I'm just going to read the first few verses and make some comments. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. So what happens when somebody like Moses is in open defiance against God? We'll look at verse 3. When I kept silent, David says... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. We've all spent, uh, you know, afternoons on the beach. You just lay there, you put your toe in the water, you go home, and you want to take a nap for three days, right? The summer heat saps our strength. God's hand, if you are in open rebellion, God's hand will be heavy upon you and your strength will be sapped. That's what we see in the life of Moses here. But then look at verse 5. Here's the good news. Here's what Zipporah did for Moses. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Listen, you can respond like Moses. You can respond like this family responded. You can repent and begin to walk in integrity. But don't hide your sin. Do not stay in open rebellion to God. Because he will deal with you with his heavy hand. And you may not like it. So elders and pastors, what does South Shore Baptist Church need most from you? They need your holiness. Growth group leaders, what does your group need most from you? They need your walk of integrity with Jesus. That's what they need most from you. Not your gifts necessarily, but your personal godliness. Parents, what does your family need from you? Fathers, what do your children need from you? Bosses, what does your workers need the most from you? They need your godliness. We must be just as concerned with having the right character for the task ahead as we are concerned about having the right skills for the tasks ahead. Because Christians are not Machiavellian. The ends never justify the means. How you walk the path is as important as getting to your destination. So brothers and sisters, hear this call to be holy, especially if you are in a leadership position in some way. Feel the weight of this little section of Scripture, but also feel the hope and the grace that you see as Zipporah moves to obey God. You know, but there's a little bit more encouragement for us in this passage. It's fascinating that God called Moses earlier, even though he knew he was somewhat unfit for this job. I mean, God knew that Moses was being disobedient, and yet God still called him. 
What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God works with incomplete people. God works with those who are immature and need to grow. He works with us along the way. Along the way, he makes us holy. Isn't that an encouragement, brothers and sisters? If you're, if you're thinking, man, I don't have my affairs totally in order, well, here's the encouragement. God along the way will help you get your affairs in order. You may have heard the little quip, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Right? God doesn't call the perfect, but he makes holy the called along the way. So be encouraged. Five lessons for people who are following God. Here's the first four. Getting started is often hard. God speaks into our fears. God works to make himself known more than to make us comfortable. Be holy. And here's the last one. We're going to finish with this. Worship God along the way. Worship God along the way. Verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. What happens when Moses gets to Egypt? Well, God, first of all, he... He provides them with Aaron, and they together speak to the elders. They perform these wonders, and how do they respond? How does Israel respond? You see it in verse 31. Two things. They believed, and they worshipped. They believed, and they worshipped. Moses, Aaron, and God's people learn to worship along the way. Their journey won't be complete until they get into the promised land, but they will worship along the way. There is enough reason for Israel to worship on this particular day. And that's astounding. That's astounding because where are they at right now? They are in slavery. They're in slavery. They're hurting still. They haven't been released. But they're still worshiping. God has heard their cries. God is concerned for them. God has promised to come down to rescue them. So what compels their worship? Well, their worship is compelled by future grace. God is going to come through for them in the future. Worship became their fuel to keep going. Our journey isn't complete either until we get to the promised land, until our feet are on the the new earth. But until then, brothers and sisters, can we worship? Can we worship while we wait and you worship as you wait. We have more reason to worship than Israel ever did, right? Israel had future grace to look forward to, and so they worshiped. We have past grace to look back to, the grace of the cross and the resurrection, and so we have more reason to worship. We have past grace, and we have future grace. So thousands of years before Jesus showed up, God was establishing this principle that we saw earlier, one son for another. I'll take your son for my son, God says. But God's son Israel wasn't faithful. Just like Moses, they broke the covenant. And so God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to earth. But this time there would be a twist in this principle. One son for another son. 
What would it take to save God's sons and daughters? This time God said, here is my son, Jesus. Here is my beloved son, Jesus, my one and only son. Take him, destroy him, judge him. And if I don't give him up, I'm not going to get my sons and daughters. So now, because God's son was given up and given into judgment, former slaves can become sons. We go from slaves to sons because God gave up his son for other sons. This is the gospel. There's lots of lessons for those who walk on God's path in this passage, but perhaps this is the most important. We can worship God along the way. We worship having tasted of the glory of Christ and the cross and the resurrection. We worship also still hungering for more as we await King Jesus who will return in glory. Let's pray. For those who are at the starting line of something new. Would you take some time right now to ask God to give you grace? Would you take some time to ask God to give others grace who may have to adjust to your new path? For those who are afraid... For those who are afraid as you're following God, would you ask God to give you words of assurance as he gave Moses? For those who find their path that God has given them uncomfortable and and not easy and difficult, Would you ask God to show his bigger plans to you? That he is still working in you and through you to glorify his son, Jesus. For those whose consciousness have been pricked by the word of God and... God has brought your sin before him and you find yourself face to face with your unholiness. Would you ask God now for forgiveness and for grace? Father, thank you for hearing our our prayers. Thank you for hearing our cries to you. Father, we're grateful that regardless of our situation, regardless of our fears, regardless of our sins, that because of Jesus we can worship you, because of past grace and future grace. And so, Father, we do long, we do hunger for more of this grace, just as like Israel longed for more of your grace in their lives. Would you help us to be a people who worship you 
as we wait. In Jesus' name, amen.